John Adams' Letters from the Front podcast, May 1915. This podcast looks at life in World War I through the letters of John Adams, who was 23 when he joined up in September 1914. He served with the 9th Service Battalion, Royal Irish Fusiliers, and was involved in many significant events on the Western Front, particularly Passchendaele. These are his words, read by his grandchildren, and narrated by his great-grandchildren. The last podcast we had Heather Montgomery from Queen's University School of Geography, Archaeology and Paleocology talking with us about training in Ireland in 1915 for war in the Western Front. We now hear the second part of this interview as I have just asked Heather why she thinks that the practice trenches in Ireland were lost just after World War I. The, the trenches that have survived the best are those that are still within training camps. At least that's been my experience so far. There are others that have survived, would never have been classed as a monument. In some locations, they would have been completely and utterly forgot about. I, I personally, my belief is that the reason behind an awful lot of these trenches never having been in any way recognised to now is because they were never seen as a construct of the camps. They were never recorded. So they weren't planned to be a permanent feature. And this is very evident throughout England as well. And some of the big camps like Cannock Chase and Salisbury Plain and Browndown and Rockmore, etc. These camps that you've seen over the last few years, trenches discovered at such and such a location. And it's, it's now become recognised that the war was not just fought on the battlefront, i.e. the Western Front, Eastern Front. The war was something that was also experienced in its home in, in, in the home front. So this has become something that now that is a huge area of research was um, the, the First World War on the home front and the CBA, Council for British Archaeology, spearheaded a program, a program of work over the last couple of years to sort of follow up on that. There's web pages, etc. that are available to, to, to see information on that. It's now recognised these were a big part of how the war was what it was by the training of the men. The men didn't just suddenly land in France and say, right, okay, we're going to go over here and dig a hole in the ground or we're going to go over here and fight a war. There had to be a preambulation to that and the preambulation was the the, the housing of these men in these massive training camps and uh, in barrack constructions. Originally, a majority of them were in tents to start off with before the barracks were introduced later in, in 1914. And then the, the training and, and, and the evidence then that's come through as to how this training evolved, depending on what the war dictated. Before, it was never recognised that this was part of the war. People didn't realise that this had to be included to take them from their hometown, their country, to the Western Front, etc. So it's like bridging a gap nearly and it's it's trying to understand how this affected your home country so these time the, these camps were massive and they affected the home towns in many ways is there any other information you think we should know about the training of john adams um well is training in trench warfare depending he could have also had extended training here what i've learned is that there's various locations that give them facility for training in machine gun practice one of which was Grey Point. He was um, a sergeant and a machine gun, uh, a mis- the, the Lewis gun. Right, okay. The Lewis gun, Lewis gun came slightly later. Um, so I'm not sure whether he'd have been, well, I suppose he would have been trained in it, but whether it was here or not, he might have went across to Seaford 
in Sussex. They did go to Seaford. Did I? Yeah. Yep. So if he went to Seaford, he would have definitely have had further training over there. Um, I've been to Seaford, the most outrageously fantastic landscape. Um, I have friends that have been digging there, and I was there when they were digging. It was fantastic. Um, and they had a massive amount of training, extended training there as well before they actually went across. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, they trained there in ordnance, um, machine gunnery, and extended battle training. The, the, the early days training before they went across to the like of Aldershot or Seaford would have been within the, the division from um, the, the ranks through, get this right, they would have started off training as maybe a platoon Mm-hmm. And then they would have trained in various platoons, and then they would have, uh, t- as time progressed, they would have trained as the division. But when they went across to the the mainland, they would have then trained more like a full army. They would have had um, the cav. Well, at the time, that time, the early start of the war, they would have been cavalry. They would have had the artillery, the engineers. They would have had the. The, the various elements within the army all training together as one sort of mm-hmm. acting like what would have gone on the battlefield rather than just individual soldiers learning how to dig, hole, dig holes in the ground or learning how to protect themselves through rifle fire, etc. So all these different elements of training would have come into practice as a, a mass army, you know, in their extended training. So this is what happened when they went across. Plus, training also continued whilst they were at the front. So when they weren't in the trenches, they had training that went on, and there were training camps also at the front, but sort of in the reserve field mm-hmm. area. One of the things we, we, when we were over in Belgium and France, we went to the Somme Heritage Centre. Yeah. We were always brought up, you know, when it was really rainy, and you went outside and, you, oh, it's the, the, mud, the ground's like the Somme. It's all that muddy and sticky, but it wasn't muddy and sticky. Yet when you went, well, compared to where Passchendaele was near Ypres, that was the gooey one. The difference being, and I have to tell you this from my own experience, Passchendaele, water table, very low, permanently very wet, in the ground. To experience the mud and the stick of the Somme, you need to dig a trench in the Somme. I dug a trench in the Somme in the rain in October. The mud and the stick of what you would have had to have dug in was horrendous. The chalk coupled with the soil, coupled with the flint, everything made it really heavy, heavy work, heavy work. Mm -hmm. So I can guarantee you to have lived in that and to have tried to have excavated the miles of trenches that they dug in then, it it was well and truly muddy and sticky. The water table wasn't as low as what it would have been in Belgium, and Belgium was always flooded. I've I've been not actually physically excavated, but I've been to excavations in Belgium. And um, yeah, their trenches were... um, I suppose the soil was a lot lighter, a lot more loamy and more sandy, etc. Whereas the Somme area is clay, chalk, thick, clagged earth, muck stuck to you constantly. So there's, so there's no such thing as a good trench. No, I don't think there ever was. If you were lucky, you got somewhere with um, decent duckboards put down on the ground off it. But mm-hmm. then they, even they got flooded and also they were slippy. Mm-hmm. So, there are letters home he's got of saying to his mother, you know, it's great we're in the summer with good weather because in the winter, you know, the water's up to your knees. That yeah. type of thing. Yeah. Yep. Is, is anything you want to promote? The Defence Heritage Project that I've been involved in with the Northern Ireland Environment Agency, we're looking to recruit people that are interested in your first world war history and in particular the recording 
of anywhere that they know of within Northern Ireland, because NIEA is only based in the north. Anything you know of that may not potentially already be on their database, because they have a, a running database of Defence Heritage features that are recorded and have numbers. But the majority of these features aren't documented, they're just known. So people that are interested in going out and photographing the, the sites, if there's anything to photograph, they want to know more information about it, is to go on to the Defence Heritage site at the Northern Ireland Environment Agency's webplace. Well, listen, Heather, thank you for taking the time to talk to us and giving us a better understanding of what John Adams was going through 100 years ago. And all the best with your PhD. Thank you very much. It's actually been a pleasure, so it has. Friday the 7th of May 1915, D Company, 9th Battalion Royal Irish Fusiliers, Newton Ards. My dear mother, just a line to say that I received your letter alright. I am sorry that I was so long in writing, but we have been very busy over the last few days. I expect it will be a very big day in Belfast tomorrow. We are leaving here at 6am in the morning. I hope it does not be too warm. I am glad you like the photo. It is not too well taken. You can see the captain standing in front of me, but I will show you them all when I get home. I will get you another one too. We intend going home in tomorrow week if we get, and indeed, to tell you the truth, I would like if you would send me a few shillings before, as we might be paid short on that day, and the three shillings would not take me home. I am sorry to take it off you, but if I was not going home I would not need it, and it might be a good while before we get home again, and I may not get the chance of getting any more photos of the company, and I would like to have them. It would keep in mind of the times we spent together. And if anything would happen to us, we would have them to show. Jimmy might just be as well at home, for there is going to be a very big crowd. I really wish it was over. It will be none pleasure for us. I will write again before I go home. Excuse us writing, as I am in a hurry. We are packing up for tomorrow. I think this is all. I send my best love to all at home. I remain your loving son, John Adams. Tell Jimmy I will write to him after Saturday. I wish you would keep the Belfast Telegraph for me to I go home. Tomorrow's parade will be in it. I will take the other photo home with me, as it might get broken sending by post. Saturday 8th of May 1915. There was a major parade of the 36th Ulster Division through Belfast. From personal notes. Inspection at Malone at Major General Sir Hugh McClement, KCB, followed by a march through the city. Thursday, 13th of May 1915. Postcard marked Hollywood, County Down. Postcard shows Cunard Liner, Lusitania. Dear Mother, I got your letter and I'm sorry I could not get home. Now I hope you're well. I had a letter from Jay. This is the steamer that sunk on Friday. We'll write soon. Give my love to all. Yours, Jeannie Adams. Thank you for listening to John Adams' Letters from the Front podcast. To find out more about John Adams and his family, visit www.johnadams.org.uk forward slash letters. The history of the 9th Service Battalion 
Royal Irish Fusiliers during the World War One is taken from the Blackers boys. Visit them at www.9irishfusiliers.co.uk with the number nine. Podcast will be published a hundred years after the letters were written, so will be published nearly every month. This has been a Mark's Mess production.